Chapter 38 of Problems in American Democracy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Allison Hester of Athens, Georgia. Problems in American Democracy by Times Williamson. Chapter 38 Public Opinion. 478. The Nature of Public Opinion. One of the most powerful influences in any community is that intangible something which we call public opinion. Though everyone is familiar with it, the term public opinion is difficult to define. Public opinion is intimately connected with the opinion of the individual, and yet is something more than a mere total of individual options. Every man has a set of opinions or beliefs which are characteristic of his native instincts, his home training, and other influences which have helped mold his personality. Wherever individuals associate, the opinions of each person affect and are affected by the opinions of his fellows. As the result of this interaction, we think of public opinion as being made up of a number of different currents, each embodying a view, a belief, or a doctrine. Where many individuals support a given view with moderate intensity, or where a small group feels very intensely upon a given topic, we say that public opinion has formed. Public opinion may be defined as a definite focus of individual opinions which are either numerous or intense enough to constitute a recognizable force and to exert a noticeable influence upon the life of the community. 479. Public Opinion and Law It is characteristic of the human mind that we perceive concrete and tangible things more easily than we understand abstract and intangible forces. Law is a definite, concrete, almost tangible thing. We perceive its outlines, recognize its various forms, and understand its nature and significance. But it is less easy to understand that law may be only a symptom of public opinion, only the concrete expression of intangible community sentiment. There is an interaction between law and public opinion, but the latter is the more fundamental and the more powerful. Public opinion, which is vigorous and well organized, may force the enactment of law. On the other hand, a law which runs counter to the prevailing state of public opinion may cease to be effective, because individuals will not cooperate in enforcing it. Law half leads, half follows public opinion, and when legislators are skilled in discerning and influencing the mental attitudes of the people, law and public opinion pretty well keep pace with one another. 480. Public Opinion in a Democracy the beliefs and opinions of the masses have been an important force even in the most absolute of monarchies. In representative democracies, public opinion is even more important. Under a democratic form of government, the attitude of the masses tends to be one of inquiry, self-confidence, and self-expression upon public questions. Lord Bryce has pointed out that because democracy permits and encourages freedom of discussion, public opinion in a country like the United States becomes much more powerful than in a less democratic country. And not only is public opinion more powerful in a democracy, but democracy is impossible without the regular exercise of a well-informed and sensible opinion by the majority of its citizens. 
democracy emphasizes government by the people rather than government of the people thus if genuine democracy is to be developed and sustained the people must cultivate an attitude of constant vigilance against civic indifference nominations and elections are focal periods in government but government is a continuous obligation which requires constant rather than intermittent attention where civic interest is neither strong nor consistent the virtues of democracy may be diffused in blind and leaderless wanderings 481 development of public opinion even though never definitely focused or expressed the vague beliefs fancies and prejudices of individuals may influence public affairs by causing community leaders to feel that the people will or will not tolerate a contemplated line of action but the influence exerted will be much greater if the opinions of the individual are definite and if there is some method of clarifying coordinating and expressing the opinions of groups of individuals upon a given subject if the opinions of the individual are to be definite and concrete, he must habitually come in contact with forceful persons and institutions. If the opinions of various individuals are to be coordinated and expressed, there must be either physical contiguity among people or else adequate means of transportation and communication. We may now consider a few of the forces which serve to make definite and to organize the opinions of individuals. 482 the home certainly no institution exerts a more powerful influence upon the beliefs and opinions of the individual than the home our basic ideals and traditions pass from generation to generation through the continuity of the family life during the plastic and impressionable period of infancy the child is constantly under the influence of the parents at first fashioned largely by the parents the beliefs and sentiments of the growing child are later modified by contact with other family members when children go out to the school the church or the workshop beliefs and attitudes encountered outside the home are weighed in the light of family teachings when young men and women make homes of their own they in turn imprint upon their children a complex of tradition and opinion which is the compromise result of their own family training modified by influences later encountered outside the family circle 483 the school supplementing and in some respects supplanting the influence of the home is the influence of the school while still in the plastic stage the child is given over to the molding influences of teacher and fellow students New contacts are made, new opinions are encountered, new avenues of thought and action are opened to the young and growing mind. Of recent years, the tendency of the school to identify itself more closely with the practical life of the community is increasing the power and influence of that institution. The school is proving a genuine means of transition between the relatively localized influence of the home and the more widely diffused influences of the community. 484. The Church Closely related to the school as a determinant of opinion is the church. In the early stages of social development, the home was equally the center of intellectual and religious life, but in recent times, the church and the school have become separate, though related institutions. The child spends more time in school than in the company of religious instructors other than his parents, 
but affiliation with the church often continues throughout the life of the individual, while the average child leaves school at a relatively early age. From the standpoint of public opinion, the primary importance of the church is that it exerts a powerful influence upon the ideals and conduct of both young and old. And, as in the case of the school, this influence is being deepened by the increasingly close connection between the church and the practical life of the community. 485. The Theater the theater has always been a vital influence in man's aesthetic and emotional life. Drama, opera, comedy, and burlesque are variant forms, but they are alike in that they influence the audience. In the last decade, the moving picture has greatly increased the power and influence of the theater. The low price of the moving picture brings the theater to millions who were formerly excluded from any appreciable degree of theatrical entertainment. The daily moving picture attendance of 10 million people, the stimulating effect of music, the strong emotional appeal, the tender age of many of the audience, and the growing use of the moving picture as propaganda, all combine to make the film a powerful factor in the formation of public opinion. 486. The Press The press is the nervous system of the nation. Supplemented by other means of communication and aided by agencies of transportation, the press coordinates individuals not physically contiguous and thus enables them to act in concert. It lets everybody know what everybody else is thinking, or at least what they are supposed to be thinking. The forms of the printed page are infinitely various. Daily papers, weeklies, monthlies, pamphlets, and books all of these are increasingly numerous. Statesmen, teachers, reformers, propagandists, and professional writers combine to turn out tons of printed matter a day. Pictures, jokes, contests, and stories are resorted to for the purpose of attracting attention. Editorials, advertisements, and news articles are among the vehicles of expression used. Printed matter does not wait for the individual to seek it out, but instead it goes to him. In various forms, it encounters him in the street, stares at him from shop windows and billboards, forces itself upon his attention in the street cars, and knocks at the door of his private dwelling. In all its forms, it should be remembered, the dominant aim of the printed page is to influence the individual, to cause him to do something or to refrain from doing something. 487. Growing Importance of Public Opinion Despite the volume of European immigration to this country, American ideals and institutions are rendering our population more and more homogeneous, and thus more open to unifying influences. The increasing ease of transportation and communication is everywhere making isolation more difficult. Not only are the school, the church, the press, and the theater widening in scope and increase in influence, but new forms of expression are developing. There is a growing number of private organizations advocating social, economic, or political reforms. The popularization of psychology has encouraged the rise of innumerable forms of propaganda designed to influence the opinions of the community and the nation. Occupational and social groups are everywhere organizing, clarifying their opinions, and expressing the common principles in effort to influence the public mind. 
All of these factors combine to increase the importance of public opinion in present-day American life. 488. Dangers of Unregulated Public Opinion The growing power of public opinion brings with it increased possibilities for good, but also increased possibilities for evil. In an important sense, this is the age of the propagandists, the crank reformer, and the subsidized newspaper, the age of the agitator who spreads lies through anonymous letters, unsigned posters, and irresponsible whisperings. The individual must be constantly on his guard against this flood. He must recognize that public opinion is often capricious and that a sudden hysteria may inflict untold injury. The morality of a mob is inferior to the morality of the individuals composing the mob because in a mob the sense of power is dominant and the sense of responsibility is suppressed. Properly speaking, a mob depends upon physical contiguity, but the coordinating influence of rapid transportation and communication may create a mob spirit between individuals not physically in contact. When propaganda lashes into a passion, groups of people in widely separated areas, democracy becomes the most dangerous of all forms of government. There is no sure hand upon the helm. The people in control in a burst of passion, they may lay waste to the social heritage of the centuries. 489. Freedom, a partial safeguard against unsound public opinion. While democracy facilitates the creation of the mob spirit, it likewise carries within itself at least a partial remedy for unsound public opinion. Men's opinions are infinitely various. The same community that produces the fanatic or the impractical idealist generally produces sensible and practical men as well. In politics, men everywhere tend to divide into a radical group and a conservative group between which control of the government oscillates. Where freedom of expression is permitted, the existence of these two antagonistic camps is automatically a safeguard of the public welfare. Any one of a number of groups of people might ruin the country if left to themselves, but they are not left to themselves. Their opponents are constantly criticizing and checking them. When cranks launch propaganda, the conservative critics launch counter-propaganda. When special interests attempt to influence the public mind, public-spirited individuals or organizations force both sides of the question before the public. When public officials neglect their duties, a thousand discerning men are ready to shout the fact from the housetops. Though the majority party secures control of government, the minority is never idle. Rather, it is constantly watching, waiting, marshalling opinion against the majority, calling public attention to the mistakes of their opponents, and agitating for a change of administration. 490. The Guidance of Public Opinion Let us briefly consider the question of guiding or directing the formulation of sound public opinion. In a free country, such guidance may sometimes prove dangerous, and yet careful direction of the formulation of public opinion is justified by two facts. First, the formulation of sound opinion is retarded by the great difficulty of securing adequate information on the great problems of modern civilization. Here, the individual needs some help. 
Second, every one who can distinguish between license and liberty must agree that we should limit influence of individuals and institutions which suppress minority opinion and distort facts in the effort to pervert public opinion. These considerations suggest two distinct lines of action. First, we can aid in the formulation of sound opinion by making it easier for the individual to secure data and information on current topics. The extension and perfection of the Postal Service, the improvement of our system of transportation, the spread of the school and library, and possibly the free distribution of literature dealing with the nature and functions of government, these and similar measures would prove helpful. Second, law and moral education ought to cooperate in suppressing influences which seek deliberately to poison or pervert the public mind. Free speech is a priceless element in democracy, but just as we must harmonize individual liberty with the interests of the group, so we must prevent the use of free speech for criminal purposes. Especially ought the press and the school be encouraged to give both sides of debatable questions. Every agency dealing with the issues of American life, indeed, ought to be careful not to distort those issues by suppressing or misusing facts. Above all, we must be careful not to pander to low ideals by emphasizing the negative and destructive side of our problems. 491. Responsibility of the Individual A progressive civilization confers more and more benefits upon the individual, but his duties and responsibilities increase with equal speed. As Theodore Roosevelt once said, it is not difficult to be virtuous in a cloistered and negative way, but honestly and effectively to fulfill the obligations of citizenship in a complex society is less easy. And yet the need of individual responsibility is infinitely greater in a modern community than among the members of an isolated and self-sufficient group. When small, isolated villages were the dominant form of American settlement, the laxness of one group did not vitally affect the welfare of other groups. But so entwined are the present-day citizens of the United States that the acts of one individual may vitally affect the national well-being. The carelessness of a food canner on the Pacific coast may cost the life of a family on the Atlantic seaboard. A swindle originating in the East may demoralize individuals throughout the country. The obligations of citizenship have become national as well as local. In thought and in action, the individual must function not only in terms of his locality, but in terms of the nation as well. 492. The Power of the Individual Measuring himself against more than a hundred million of his fellows, the average American citizen is likely to be overpowered by the apparent futility and powerlessness of his personal opinions. And yet, the power of the nation is only the result of the combined influences of its individual citizens. All power is with the individual. However much the absolute monarchy may have suppressed the individual, in a democracy he can become a vital force in government. We are too fond of taking censuses on the one hand and of deferring to governmental mechanisms on the other. The individual is master of his fate, and he is the ultimate determinant of government. If government is sound, the misbehavior of the individual can ruin it. 
If government is defective, the assumption of responsibility by the individual must ultimately reform it. We do not need a foolproof government half as much as we need active, responsible individuals to run the government we already have. How long will American democracy last? A European statesman once asked. Just so long, the answer might have been, as Americans honestly and intelligently grapple with the problems confronting them, holding themselves individually responsible for the conduct of government and seeking consistently to exert an influence upon their community life, which shall be constructive and inspirational. End of chapter 38